John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave While weep the sons of bondage whom he ventured all to save But though he sleeps his life was lost while struggling for the slave His soul is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah Welcome to War of the Rebellion Stories of the Civil War. I am your host, Leon, and this is a reading, Reminiscence of the 19th Massachusetts Regiment, by Captain John G. B. Adams. Preface For 34 years, I have waited patiently for someone to write a history of the 19th Regiment Massachusetts Volunteers. But fearing that it may never be accomplished, I have concluded to send out this story. I do not dignify it by calling it a history. It is simply a soldier's story, told by one of the boys. Most of it is written from memory. The account of prison life is taken from an imperfect diary kept by the writer while a prisoner of war. I sincerely hope the publication of this volume will inspire other comrades, and that from the memories thus evoked, someone may gather further material, whereby the deeds of the men who so bravely followed the flags of the state and nation for four long, weary years may be preserved. John G. B. Adams Chapter 1 The Call to Arms At the breaking out of the war, I was a resident of the quiet but patriotic town of Groveland. Sumpner had been fired upon, and all was excitement. I could not work, and on the 18th of April, 1861, walked to Haverhill with my elder brother and Mark Kimball. We went to the armory of the Hale Guards, who were making active preparations to march and I returned home that night, resolved to go with them, if possible. The next day, we walked to Haverhill again, and I at once interviewed Captain Messer, but was informed that the company was more than full, so I could not go with it. I had said nothing to my brother, or mark of my intention, but as we were walking home, I found that we all had the same to desire. I found that we all had the same desire, to enlist at once. We talked the matter over, and concluded that as Company A of the 1st Battalion of Rifles, an old militia company located in West Newbury, and then under arms, would soon be ordered away, we would join it. That night we walked to West Newbury, five miles, found the company at the armory in the town hall, and enrolled our names. Company A was one of three that composed the 1st Battalion of Rifles, commanded by Major Ben Purley Poor. They had been organized several years and were known as Poor's Savages. They were armed with Windsor rifles and saber bayonets, the rifle and bayonet weighing 
about 15 pounds. The uniform was dark green, trimmed with light green, and as I donned it for the first time, it was hard to tell which was the greener, the soldier or the uniform. We had a peculiar drill. Most of it, as I can remember, consisted of running around the town hall in single file, giving an Indian war whoop and firing into the corner of the hall as we ran. I was a soldier now. I did not walk the streets as I had done, but marched, always turning a square corner. People grasped me by the hand and congratulated me on my courage. I did not see where the courage came in. The Sons of Temperance, of which my brother Isaac and myself were members, presented us at a public meeting with two suits of underclothes and havelocks, housewives, testaments, etc., so that before we received our army outfit, we had enough to load a mule. We waited for orders to march, but none came, and from being heroes we began to be looked upon with disgust, and we were the most disgusted of all. As we would meet friends on the street and they would say, Is it not about time to have another public meeting to bid you fellows goodbye? Or, You will want some more shirts before you leave. So mortified did we become that, instead of marching down through the village to drill, we sneaked away through a back street. The company began to get demoralized. Men were leaving every day going to other states or to regiments that had been ordered to the front. At last we rebelled and sent our officers to the governor with a vote passed by the company that unless we were ordered into camp at once we would disband. After a few days we were furnished with a large tent for the men, a wall tent for the officers and a supply of rations. Our camp was located on the land of one of our members, Private Sylvester, and was named Camp Sylvester. We were without arms except three guns for guard duty, as our old Windsors had been turned in. Company A was officered as follows. Captain Moses P. Stanwood. First Lieutenant J. Warren Brown. Second Lieutenant Benjamin Wilson. Third Lieutenant Isaac H. Boyd. Fourth Lieutenant, Jones Frankel. The third and fourth lieutenants were soon discharged, as Army regulations only provided for two. Lieutenant Boyd went into the ranks, and Lieutenant Frankel was made major of the 17th Massachusetts. Our discipline in Camp Sylvester was not as strict as it was later in the war. We mounted one guard. After we had been once around, we concluded that the lieutenants ought to stand their share, so we put them on. One night, we caught a calf, and after the officers were asleep, we turned him into their tent. We did many things that later would have sent us to the guardhouse. About the second week in July, we were ordered to Linfield to join the 19th Regiment. We were the second company in camp. Company C of Rowley arriving about two hours before us. 
our tents were a peculiar pattern, neither wall nor A, but between the two, having accommodations for ten men, and each tent had three windows or ventilators. For a time, we were under the command of Colonel Lyman Dyke, who also commanded the 17th Regiment, located near us. At Linfield, I was promoted to 6th Corporal, and my troubles began. I was one day detailed for guard, the 17th and 19th Regiments doing guard duty together. When I posted my relief, I had one more man than posts, so I made a new post. The officer of the day asked me what I did with the supernumerary. I said that I put him on in the rear of the ice house. He desired to know who gave me authority to create new posts, and I replied that I supposed I was to use up my men. As soon as the guards were posted, they began to call Corporal of the Guard. When I went to them, they wanted a drink of water. I asked the officer of the day if it was my duty to carry water to them. He said it was. So I toted the water pail. The two hours of my relief was on. At night, the men went to their quarters. I found where they slept and made arrangements to call them. I would put my head into a tent and call Third Relief. And instead of the men coming out, a boot with an oath came at me. As I could not get enough for relief, I turned out the drummer and had him beat the long roll. This brought out the officer of the day, but very few of the men, as they did not know what it meant any more than I did. Collecting what I could, we started to relieve the guard, but I soon found that I had more than men enough, as at nearly every post we found the musket stuck into the ground and the man missing. When relieved in the morning, I was disgusted with being an officer, and longed for the freedom of a private. Recruits were fast arriving. Company A went into camp with about sixty men, and every day some new man was voted in, as we had not given up the old militia method of electing our members. Skeleton companies were arriving, consisting of an officer and a few men, who were given a letter and assigned a place in line. Among the first to arrive was Captain Mahoney. His company was given the letter E. Captain Mahoney was an energetic officer and anxious to drill his men. Long before daybreak with his first sergeant, McNamara, he would turn out the recruits, and as we lay in our tents we could hear him calling, Left. Left. McNamara, tread on that man's heels. It was not very long before we had the required number of companies, the last to arrive being the Boston Tiger Fire Zouaves, and my story from this point will include the regiment as well as Company A. One day in August, we saw a military man looking over the camp. We soon learned that it was Colonel Hinks, who had just returned from three months' service with the 8th Massachusetts. In a few days, he was assigned to the command of the 19th, and from that moment what had been a uniformed mob became a regiment of soldiers. With him came Lieutenant Colonel Deverex, 
who had been captain of the Salem Zouaves, and soon after Major Henry J. Howe. One of the Salem Zouaves was assigned to each company as a drillmaster, and soon we saw that our three months' drilling had been worse than useless, as we had to begin over again. And it was hard to teach old dogs new tricks, but the Zouaves won our respect, and every man was anxious to do his best. Very soon, a change took place in the line officers. A Zouave was commissioned in nearly every company. Company A retained Captain Stanwood, but lost both lieutenants, C. M. Merritt being made first lieutenant, and Isaac H. Boyd, who had enlisted as a private, second lieutenant. On August 27th, we were ordered to strike tents and prepare to march. That night, for the first time, we slept on the ground, with only the blue sky for shelter. The next day, we took cars for Boston. Our knapsacks were slung for the first time and loaded with everything that it was possible to stow away. Being anxious that my best girl should see me in the full garb of a warrior, I arrayed myself in heavy marching order and went to the Ambrotype Saloon to have my picture taken. I have seen that picture since the war. In an Ambrotype, everything is reversed, so my musket is at my left shoulder, haversack and canteen on the wrong side. In fact, I was wrong end to in every respect. Our wagon train was larger than that of an army corps in active service. Each company had a four-horse wagon, headquarters two, quartermaster four. I think there were twenty besides the ambulances. We arrived in Boston in the afternoon. It was the second time I had been in the city, and as we halted on the common and no friend came to bid me goodbye, the first feeling of homesickness came over me, and I began to realize that at last we were real soldiers, and that the enjoyments of camp life at home were fast falling to the rear. We went to New York by the Fall River Line. I had never been on a steamboat before and was very sick. Landing in New York, we marched up Broadway. My knapsack weighed a ton, and I was so sick that I could not hold up my head, yet dared not fall out, for fear I should get lost. We were marched to a barrack, and given some thin soup and a testament. I had already two testaments in my knapsack, but I took this, although I wished they had put a little more money in the soup, and passed the testament. I do not remember what route we took from New York, but we went part of the way by boat, and arrived in Philadelphia the next morning. Chapter 2. Our Journey South We will do next week. <laughs> Alright, let's move on to these short notes here. I'm going to keep it brief. The beginning of this... <laughs> story in chapter one is is pretty funny first of all wanting to leave but not being able to leave and basically having to revolt to go to war 
Oh, if only they knew what was in store for him. And Mr. Adams finding out what the responsibility is like after he got promoted to corporal is hilarious. I mean, telling the drummer to start the long roll in camp just so he could wake people up for their duty is hilarious. And I bet people told that story for ages. I know personally, I still have dreams about being woken up for Firewatch with a light shining in my face and for whatever reason, it still happens for me. And I actually wake up and I lay there in bed mentally psyching up my tired brain for it, right? Like, all right, you got to get up and go to Firewatch and walk your post and do all of that. And that's just before I realize I'm in my own bed. So I totally understand why folks threw a boot at him <laughs> or would swear at him or, or do whatever. I get it. <laughs> I wish I could have, but Oh, anyway, anyway, everyone, thank you for your patience. I know it's been a little bit longer, but things are crazy out here on the farm with springtime and it just does not slow down. And I've had very little time to get extracurricular activities done. But I knew today I was like, man, I was working on a chicken coop. <laughs> and as soon as I kind of got somewhere where I was satisfied with being done. I was like, I got to hop on and start recording. So I just want to get this out and uploaded. The next episode will be two chapters. This is only one, but I wanted to let you all know I'm still alive. And this puppy that I got, I mean, I was sleeping on the floor with him because he's not potty trained and I had to work with him. It didn't take too long. He's, he's really good. Uh, He's five months old and he is not house trained at all. So I've had to just work with him day in and day out. All of my spare time is taking care of this guy. So, oh boy, <laughs> he's something else. So, all right. Uh, with that, my friends, I am out of here. Oh, and if you're wondering what kind of puppy he is, he is a King Shepherd and he at five months is already a big boy. So. I imagine he's going to get quite a little bit bigger. But with that, I'm out of here. I'll see you uh, next week. Have a great one. Stay safe. And bye-bye. Old John Brown's body lies a-moldering in the grave While weep the sons of bondage whom he ventured all to save But though he sleeps, his life was lost while struggling for the slave His soul is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah Glory, glory, hallelujah Hallelujah, or his soul is marching on. John Brown was a hero, undaunted, true, and brave. And Kansas knew his valor when he fought her rights to save. And now, though the grass grows green above his grave, his soul is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. 
us marching on He captured Harper's Ferry with his 19 men so few And frightened old Virginia till she trembled through and through They hung him for a traitor, themselves a traitorous crew But a soul is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah John the Baptist of the Christ we are to see Christ who of the bondmen shall the liberator be And soon throughout the sunny south the slaves shall all be free For a soul is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah That he heralded, he looked from heaven to view On the army of the Union With its flag red, white, and blue And heaven shall sing with anthems Or the deed they mean to do For his soul is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah Then strike while strike ye may The death blow of oppression in a better time and way The dawn of old John Brown has brightened in the day And his soul is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah Soul.